Welcome, everybody. Uh, appreciate you uh, attending the uh, the Bible study, as always. We do have a couple of announcements at the top. Uh, as next week is a holiday weekend, we have decided to take next weekend off. So there will be no Bible study for Saturday, July 2nd. And we will resume as normal on Saturday, July 9th. So plan for that. Uh, also, I mentioned, uh, can't remember if I mentioned this before or not, but I did have a few people ask me to make the audio of, um, uh, of the sessions available, not just in Robert's blog, but as a podcast feed. So if you want to listen through your typical podcast feeds and just grab the audio in one central place that way, uh, I have done that. So if you go to the, uh, the normal Bible study page of the website, there are links to feeds for Apple Podcasts and for Google Podcasts and for Spotify and just the RSS feed if you want to use a different podcasting app as well. So if you're someone who uh, wants to listen to the audio later, that would be the easiest way to do it. And uh, as always, if you have um, questions, comments, uh, just anything about how to make the show more accessible, the show, the session, this is not a show, right? The, uh, the study session more accessible, you can always email that to me and I'll see what I can do. But I think that covers the announcements. Um, I'm already stealing too much of your time, Robert, but if I missed anything, let me know. No, that, that sounds about right. Um, okay, should I go ahead and get started? Yeah, I think we're all set. I think everybody's ready oh. to go. All right. So uh, my only quick announcement is I have made a slight change to the format of how I am going to present the material. I'm going to read the text and then I am going to pick the major themes and discuss those instead of doing a verse by verse analysis. I don't think that we're really going to sacrifice any, you know, any specificity or depth um, and it will make it a little bit more engaging perhaps. Um, okay. So without further ado, uh, I will read verses 19 through the end of the chapter. So it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked John, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize, who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. These things happened in Bethany across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. On the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, After me comes a man who is greater than I am, because he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one in whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, 
This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. Again, the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples. Gazing at Jesus as he walked by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, What do you want? So they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus answered, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Now it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. On the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael replied, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, Look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus replied, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said to him, Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He continued, I tell all of you the solemn truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's the scripture for today. So, um, there are really, I mean, I feel like any passage of scripture we read, we could pick out a hundred things to talk about, but I want to focus on some of the key ideas here that really illuminate the whole passage. The first one is at the very beginning, and it is John the Baptist's three denials, right? So he says no to three things. He says, I am not the Christ, I am not Elijah, and I am not the prophet. So what does that mean? Why is that relevant? How is that setting up the story of Jesus? Well, let's begin with the first one, which is the Christ. There were a number of expectations and that at the time of Christ that the, you know, that the Savior would come, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, all these terms referring to the same thing. I think I mentioned this already, but Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. It's just Messiah comes from Aramaic and Christ would be the Greek word. Uh, so if you see either of those, again, they, they mean the same thing. But at any rate, the Jews expected the Messiah to come and that would be the beginning of the, the end times, of the eschatological end. Now, when I say that, when I say the end times, um, I don't mean any particular events like like the world is is going to end immediately but what i mean by the end times i mean that essentially the, the history of humanity is entering into its last phase and and i know that we could talk about the end times a whole lot more but at this point i don't want to get derailed in the blog I posted a number of sources that give you some of the expectations that the Jewish people had about the Christ. 
For example, they expected that the righteous who had died would come back and they would judge all the nations. And I posted a passage there from the wisdom of Solomon. Now, that's not a biblical passage, and I'm not trying that it should be. All that I'm trying to show is the context at the time. What were people thinking? Um, We also see other expectations, like the fact that under this new king, when the Messiah came, who would be the new king, the Jews would live in prosperity forever. Uh, The Messiah would be like a new Moses and a new Joshua, but even greater. The Messiah's reign would never end. Okay, It would go on forever. Um, The Messiah, who would also be called the Son of Man, and I will explain that phrase in just a minute, uh, he would triumph over all of his enemies. Um, The wicked dead would not rise to join the kingdom of God. and so forth. But you get the idea. The the Messiah, the King, is coming, and everything will be made right. The righteous, even the, the righteous were already dead, would rise up and reign with him. Uh, the wicked would be destroyed. This reign would go on forever, and so forth. So you get this question of John the Baptist. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And he says, no, it is someone else, but he's here already. So it sets up this incredible tension in a good way, you know, to building up the story. I am not the right guy, but the right guy is here and you have not recognized him. Um, You know, that's quite the cliffhanger. And by the way, something I wanted to discuss is, are these expectations of the Messiah correct or not? And in the blog, I say that they are correct if interpreted correctly, right? Because if you if you have some familiarity with what I'm discussing, you know that the Jews expected more of a political king or a more literal king, so to speak, who would actually have a kingdom on earth as as we would imagine it, right? Um, but although Jesus is the king, he is the Messiah, and he will actually do all those things that the Jews expected him to do. They just look a little bit different. But they're not wrong, right? Like the, the, at the end of the day, there will be this judgment of the righteous and the wicked, and and Jesus' kingdom will go on forever, and all of his enemies will be defeated. All of these things are true, just in a slightly different sense than how the Jews expected that. Now, if you're wondering where where is this in the Bible, essentially these expectations? If I if I'm going to say that they're right, I better be able to back that up. And the easiest place, certainly not the only, but the easiest place to look at would be in Daniel chapter seven and nine. I posted both of those passages on the blog, so I'm not going to read them, but they pretty much confirm all of those expectations. Daniel nine, by the way, it is a very difficult text to interpret it has some time periods there that people have argued forever and ever and ever what it is that they mean um and i'm not going to get into that today because honestly that could take us and an entire session and then some okay so the second denial are you elijah this one is very interesting because john the baptist says no i'm not elijah but we also have jesus saying in mark chapter 9 verse 4 that sorry, forgive me, Matthew 11, 7 through 15, where Jesus says, John the Baptist was Elijah. So what's happening here? Well, John the Baptist 
or let me let me rephrase that. The Jews expected Elijah to come back literally. It would it would literally be Elijah himself who would come before the Messiah. And in that sense, John the Baptist is not Elijah, and he's completely correct. As I know, I'm 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 not him. I'm a different person. And this is easily confirmed, for example, by Mark 9, 4, in which Elijah appears with Moses. Uh, they appear with Jesus, right, in the transfiguration. So, so clearly Elijah the person is different from John the Baptist the person. So when Jesus says John the Baptist was Elijah, he means he fulfilled that role. We, we kind of misinterpreted the prophecy of Elijah coming back. It would be somebody fulfilling his role, not Elijah exactly. Okay. Um, but what was relevant about this is that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And Jesus said, yeah, that happened. So we are essentially in that eschatological period. And finally, the third denial, are you the prophet? This idea of the prophet is a throwback to Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 19. And I'm going to read that passage. It's very short. But it says, I will raise up a prophet, and this is God speaking, by the way. I will raise up a prophet like you, and like you is Moses. He's speaking to Moses, sorry. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them whatever I command. I will personally hold responsible anyone who then pays no attention to the words that prophet speaks in my name. Okay. So even at the time of Moses, we have this prophecy of there would come somebody even greater than him, and anybody who does not listen to him uh, would fall into judgment. And uh, again, John the Baptist saying here, nope, I'm not that guy, but that guy is here, right? And all of these images are fulfilled in Jesus. Well, I should be more careful. Elijah, Elijah is not quite fulfilled in Jesus, uh, but they're different roles. Um, okay, so that that really sets up the the ministry of Jesus. If we understand that these are the offices that He's fulfilling, or these are the prophecies that He's fulfilling. Another theme that I want to touch on very briefly, because this was discussed last time, is this idea of water baptism. Um, somebody asked last time what it meant to the Jews at the time when John the Baptist was doing so, and I think that the answers that the the other participants in the Bible study gave were perfect, um, but I, I I looked a little bit more into it, and like I said, they, they were correct. Effectively, this water baptism would have been very reminiscent of the baptism that a non-Jew would undergo to be to be initiated into Judaism. Now, what's so relevant here is that John the Baptist is offering this to Jews. Right, and normally a, a Jew would think I'm already in. Like I don't have to go through this water baptism thing. I'm already in the club, so to speak. And here's John the Baptist saying, "No, you must repent and prepare yourself to enter into you know this kind of the real family of of God, which will require this this baptism of the Spirit, which the Messiah is bringing." Um. Yeah. The next, uh, I hear somebody's mic is unmuted, which is fine. Um, yeah, sorry. Clearly, your producer is doing a bad job. Uh, <laughs> Trying to figure it out. Uh, th but that's a spontaneous interruption that's actually convenient. I'm a little bit early, but just so I don't have to interrupt you again a few minutes yeah. from now. 
As usual, if you're interested in uh, raising a point of discussion or asking a question, uh, we will get to that in, in you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, but I'll open the chat now. Put uh, just just type question in the chat. You don't need to type your question. Just type the word question in the chat, and then uh, I will randomize those, and we will um, catch up with uh, points of discussion in a few minutes. Okay, so the next big topic that I, I wanted to touch on, because I think that this is absolutely key for us to understand the rest of the Gospel of John, is th this idea that Jesus is the Lamb, right? We hear it actually a couple of times in that, that short passage that I read. You know, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, why are we talking about a Lamb? <laughs> In, in Judaism, you're probably familiar that there was a sacrificial system, right? And animals were sacrificed to atone for the sin of the Israelites. But there's a particular lamb that is incredibly important, which is where this whole sacrificial system begins. Um, and that would be the lamb sacrificed at Passover. So what is Passover? Well, if, if you think back to the Old Testament, okay, so think back to Exodus chapter 12, chapters 11 and 12 anyways, the, this is when the Jews are being oppressed by the, the Egyptians and Moses has done a bunch of miracles to try to convince Pharaoh to let the Jews go, right? And Pharaoh, Pharaoh keeps saying, no, no, no. Well, I mean, the story is more complicated than that. You can go read it, but he kind of says yes, but every time he takes it back. Well, so then we get to the last miracle, uh, the last plague, if you want to call it that, that would be the more common term. And that is, uh, there, there would be, a, a, a death would come upon the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, including the cattle, okay? But God says to Moses, tell the Israelites, the following. And by the way, this is also in the blog. I, I did like a summarized version of chapter 12, if you want to go read it, but I'm going to paraphrase it here. Um, God tell Moses, hey, tell the people, sacrifice a spotless lamb. Okay, and this is this is important. The actual words are your lamb, your lamb must be perfect. A male, one year old, and you know, it goes on. Sacrifice is perfect lamb. And you are to eat it in a certain way. Uh, in fact, you're you're to eat it fully dressed, like if you're ready to go, because this is this is going to signify that you know after this plague you you will be allowed to go and you must go in a hurry. But also, you are to take some of the blood, the blood, sorry, from the slam, and put it on your doorpost. And when this plague of death comes over the land, it will skip the households that have this mark. And so the Israelites do this, just as God tells them to do. The plague happens. Uh, the firstborn of all the Egyptians and, and their cattle, the firstborn of everything, dies. And it is so catastrophic that the response of the Egyptians is finally to tell them, please go, please get away from here. They're terrified. And they say, please, please just go away. Uh, that would be verse 33. In Exodus chapter 12, it says, The Egyptians were urging the people on in order to send them out of the land quickly, for they were saying, We are all dead. Okay? They, they are just devastated by what has happened. Well, arguably, this event of the Passover 
it is the greatest event in the Old Testament, okay, the most significant event that kind of sets the, the rest of the Old Testament. And I'm not trying to create a competition. Perhaps you could say it really is what goes on at Mount Sinai, you know, 12 commandments or whatever. But but culturally speaking, this is kind of the cornerstone that the, the Jewish people would keep, go, would keep going back to. And now John the Baptist is saying, Oh, let me add one other little factoid here. This Passover, it is thereafter celebrated every year by the Jews. Okay. And Jesus actually dies on the cross at Passover. Okay. So Passover is, is such a relevant event that we, we have to understand how it connects to the Old Testament. Well, here John is saying Jesus is that lamb. Okay. It, by the way, the lamb of the Passover, the way that it, the name of that would be the Paschal Lamb, and it's a very odd spelling. It's P-A-S-C-H-A-L, okay? Just in case. So Jesus is the Paschal Lamb. And that carries with it all of this history, but also all of the effects, right? Like if you want to, at the, at the time of that first Passover, if you wanted to be saved in a very physical sense, like if you did not want your firstborn to die, you needed this lamb of the Passover. And now Jesus is saying, if you if you want to be saved, then I am that lamb. Okay. It also gives us a clue as to how the story is going to end, so to speak, that the lamb must be sacrificed, right? So we immediately get the the sacrificial theme introduced by that phrase, the Lamb of God. Okay. Uh, so hugely significant phrase. Um, then some of the other themes that we see in this passage, and I'm glad that I'm actually getting to these because they, they, these really also are very important. We see the spirit like a dove descend on Jesus and remain. And that's key. Notice that the two times that the spirit is mentioned descending, it also remains because the Jewish idea, and we see this in the Old Testament, is normally that the Spirit of God would descend on someone, but then depart. Okay, so somebody was temporarily indwelled by the Spirit of God. But it's not like that with Jesus. With Jesus, the Spirit comes down and remains. And in fact, this idea of the Holy Spirit, it really frames the entire book of John. You, you see it here at the very beginning, John one thirty three, and I'm going to read it right quick. It says, And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one in whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, So the Holy Spirit is testifying to who Jesus is. Okay? So that's the first role that the Spirit is playing. Then, in a little past the middle of the book, we see kind of the next role of the Holy Spirit. This would be John 14, 26. It says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I said to you. So by chapter 14, Jesus is telling the disciples, Look, I'm going to die and I'm going to be gone, right? Well, I'm going to die and, and be resurrected and then I'm going to go up into heaven. But at any rate, I will no longer be with you, but you will get 
the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and he will help you at that time. Okay. So the Holy Spirit kind of begins the story and he's also the one who will come at the end of Jesus story on earth is what I mean, you know? Um, and then in John 20, 22, which is at the very end of the book, it actually ends with that event, right? And says, Jesus is saying, and, and after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So you could kind of fit the entire book of John within the brackets of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit identifying Jesus or with witnessing to his identity and then um, indwelling the believers. And... The, the last topic in this text, and this is going to be a little bit just uh, kind of unrelated to everything, everything else I discussed because it's just a very practical matter. But in this text, we see Jesus calling, calling his first disciples, right? Um, I, I very much appreciate the way that John describes the, the calling of the disciples because in the other Gospels, we get very abbreviated versions of things, right? Um, in the other Gospels, pretty much Jesus shows up and tells somebody, hey, follow me, and they just do. And that's that. And it almost seems uh, miraculous, like in the sense that it, without any context, it almost seems like Jesus told a disciple, hey, follow me, and kind of miraculously changed his mind and heart and all this, and that person just followed him, um, you know, again, out of uh, almost a, a miracle. Uh, and I'm not saying that could not be the case, by the way. Uh, I'm not, but perhaps that was the case with some of the disciples. But what really seems to be the case is, as John describes here, the disciples of Jesus uh, they were looking for the Messiah, right? At least the four disciples mentioned in, in this text, they were familiar with John the Baptist. They were probably baptized in, in water. Um, and, and they're ready. They're ready for the Messiah. They know the Messiah is coming. So finally, John the Baptist goes, that's the guy. That's the guy. That's the Messiah. And the disciples go, okay, that's, that's the guy we were looking for. We trust John the Baptist. Then we are going to follow Jesus. I suspect that uh, that's probably a similar story for the other disciples. And I'm going to leave it at that because at the end of the day, that's not in the text. I don't want to speculate more than I should. Um, but it makes a whole lot of sense. That the, that's why the disciples so readily follow Jesus. They were ready for that. They believed that he was the Messiah. Um, however, it, although we in this text, we get multiple confessions of Jesus being the Messiah, there seems to be a misunderstanding of what exactly that's going to look like, right? Even John the Baptist, later on, we're going to see John the Baptist doubts Jesus' identity, right? He sent some of his disciples, some of John the Baptist's disciples, to Jesus to ask, hey, are you the guy? And that's a little bit odd, right? Like John the Baptist saw the Spirit descending on Jesus, and then he's like, well, I'm not sure anymore. Um we also see later on that the disciples of Jesus himself kind of doubting Jesus, certainly deserting him at the cross. And it seems like this story unfolds not exact, not exactly like the Jews expected it would, even someone like John the Baptist. Um, and I, I just think that shows 
the human element of, of all this, like I was talking about last time, like the, uh, you know, God is working through people, through real people who can have misunderstandings, who can make mistakes, and, you know, who in a sense can even, like we all do, I think at times, misunderstand God. Like God says to John the Baptist, you know, this is my son who I'm, whom I love, this is the Messiah and all this stuff. And John the Baptist is like, got it, and I'll repeat that message. But even he kind of misunderstood it a little bit. Um, the, let me see if there's anything else I, I want to mention, and then we, we're going to open this up to questions. And depending on how that goes, I may throw in a, a little bit more of uh, other notes and things. Um, uh, no, I think I'm, I'm good for now. If we want to open it up for questions, we can see how that goes. Sure. Actually, it appears everybody is fairly shy tonight. We do have some comments oh. and questions kind of among uh, everybody in the chat. But so far, I don't see anybody formally asking to speak. So it, it is still open, guys, if you want to hop in and offer a thought. And um, I don't know that I have uh, a, a meaningful question myself because there's so much information and so much going on here that, that I am... I have a little bit of trouble keeping track who's who and and what they're talking like there's just it's a lot to keep track of you know and yeah. i guess what i what i found interesting here and maybe i had misunderstood this from the start because this whole theme of denial to identify yourself i suppose mm -hmm. is is john the baptist is originally i thought maybe he was introducing himself with denial but maybe he it's it's more accurate that he was questioned and is denying the questions correct Okay, because because yeah. I was originally thinking, well, it's it's kind of odd to introduce yourself by who you are not, but that probably wouldn't be accurate to say that's exactly what he was doing. He he was instead responding to questions posed to him. Yeah. So, um, some of the background is in the other gospels, and so we we're kind of missing out some bits and pieces of the story. Hmm. But essentially, John the Baptist has been doing this for a while. We don't know exactly how long, but he's become quite popular. And he has antagonized the more prestigious people in society. Hmm. Okay. So it seems like he kind of has a beef with the religious leaders. Um, Interesting. And He's, would it be fair to describe him as like a Socratic type figure? He just goes around. Well, I, kind of annoying I people or what? <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, John is saying repent and and be baptized, right? And remember that only non-Jews would be baptized. So this yes. is very scandalous. And the religious leaders are saying, essentially, why do we need to be baptized? Like we're already in the club. And and John the Baptist is saying, no, like you're you're missing it, right? Uh -huh. you're, you're missing it. Well, so finally the religious leader sends somebody to question John the Baptist and say, okay, who are you? And when John the Baptist says, I am not Elijah, I'm not the Messiah, and I'm not uh, the prophet, then they go, then why are you baptizing people? Like, who the heck are you, right? Like, yeah. um, and and he just says, look, I am the forerunner to the Messiah. Um, and, and in a sense, really, he is Elijah. He could have said that, but he did not he see himself as such. Okay. We do have one question from okay. Bailey. Let's see if we can get Bailey in here. It's go. it's it's me, Bailey. Hey, you're Karen's oh, <laughs> of course. It's my I know. daughter We're, Bailey. <laughs> it's our daughter's our daughter's computer. Um, ah. so we're actually um, I don't know. We're 
what do we call us, Eric? We're Christian, but um, with a messianic flair. We're hmm. basically the Old Testament. We keep the feast and everything like that. So there actually is a um, a ritual cleansing called a mikvah that is similar to baptism. Mm-hmm. And it's done before major days, after a woman's time of the month, which that was a horrible Sunday when they talked about that one. Um, <laughs> too private for church. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, when, if you look through, there's, you know, at times that you're considered unclean, right? I mean, if after childbirth or if you touch a dead body or come in contact with certain things and you're unclean for a certain period of time, and then you're supposed to cleanse before um, going back into the temple and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to say that that is a very good point that you bring up a a certainly also connects to that, right? Like this idea of cleansing. The the reason why um, I kind of skipped over that only for, for the sake of time, because I think your comment is very appropriate. Um, what I think what distinguishes John's baptism with a ritual of cleansing, at least slightly, is that this baptism was a once for all kind of a thing. Like you only did it once where the rituals of cleansing were like every so often. And the particularly the water ritual we see at the time that was also just one time and you were done was the initiation into Judaism. Um, but I by no means disagree that there's also a connection there with the rituals of cleansing. Well, and that would have been so foreign to them, right? Because with the feast, you know, you've got the Day of Atonement and that's annual. There is no one cleansing for all eternity when it comes to the Jews, right? Yep. You've got to start over every year. <laughs> and so... Yeah. Yeah, but true. Which, which we don't we don't believe that now. Like we believe in Christ's salvation. Just want to make sure that's that's out there. Even though we keep the feast and stuff. But um, yeah, here's Eric. Hi. Hello, Eric. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So yeah, so I could see where they would have a real hard time, right? Like, who are you telling us we need to do it a different way? And yeah, and you're not one of the leaders. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for you to do this, and what is this one in a lifetime thing? Like we are, like I said, we're already in the club, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that was all. All right. Well, thanks, Cindy. Appreciate it. Um, there Let's, any other? There are several actually. People are uh, chiming in now. Okay, so. great. Let's see. I'm just gonna go in order. Uh, I think we should have time to get through everybody, so I'm just gonna go in order. Already breaking my own rules, but you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, Kim is up next. See if we can get Kim in here. Hi. Hey, Kim. Um, so yeah, this is is just kind of a perspective question. Um, but what would you think is like the purpose and or the importance of baptism? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> okay. Sorry, so. it's been like an ongoing discussion with a friend, and so. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a. Milk toast fence sitter over here. I'm going to pull a, <laughs> a temple. No, but I guess let me set the stage for this and let me tell you, you why I'm trying to be term. You can't smear Tim. <laughs> this is a, it's a house of faith and decency. <laughs> well, so different Christian denominations view baptism differently, right? Um, and, but what we all have in common, if you're a Christian of any flavor, you believe that people should be baptized. Right. We just disagree on what exactly is going on there. Is it a symbol? Does it do something? And let me give you some of the options. 
And then I guess I'll tell you where I fall, but but I'm not trying to alienate here anybody. Um, on one side of the spectrum, you would have, for example, the Lutherans who would say that, um, or the Catholics for that matter, that they're similar in this regard, not identical. Uh, they believe that baptism generates faith. Okay, it causes saving faith. Now, uh, Lutherans, for example, would say then as you grow up, you can reject that saving faith. But it actually does something. There is kind of something miraculous going on, uh, a dispensing of grace. Um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, you would have somebody like a Baptist who would say that baptism is a symbol. There's nothing miraculous that's going on, but it is a very important symbol that we should still use that signifies somebody coming into the kingdom and joining the church. And then there's some views kind of in between where maybe baptism does something, but it's more mysterious. Um, I, uh, you know, I've tried not to take sides in this Bible study. Um, I lean more towards the idea of baptism being a, a symbol, um, you know, but, uh, but again, there, you know, people are going to disagree on that. And I doubt that I can convince anybody of either view. Yeah. And that wasn't yeah, the purpose of the question. I didn't mean to like try to divide <laughs> things up, but, and yeah, this is even in somebody who I have a lot of commonalities in my faith and we go to the same church, you know, she was talking about like another group of Christians who are somewhere even in between that. And so it's just getting other perspectives and thank you for clarifying yeah, I, I would encourage you, if this is an issue that you're interested in, I I have been so edified by learning what different denominations believe and trying to learn it from them, like, okay, Lutheran, tell me about baptism, and okay, Baptist, tell me about baptism, and okay, Methodist, tell me about baptism, and so forth. And um, I used to be very judgmental on these issues, so I'm going to go ahead and admit that, where I was like, oh, I'm totally right, and these people are totally wrong. And now, uh, at least personally, I'm like, okay, I still have my view, but I can kind of see where they're coming from, and, um, you know, I guess we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts, Kim? Sorry, I mean yourself again. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Kim. Appreciate it. Okay, next up is, uh, well, Chris is already ready to go. He knows the deal. Yeah. Chris, are you there? Go for yeah. it. So, um, first of all, really, really good job, Robert. I, I really enjoyed what, what you presented today. And uh, I just wanted to augment it a little bit. I, know I looked at your notes, and in particular, what I want to talk about is the timing thing, that the fact that, like you mentioned, John's denials and, and so forth of, you know, no, I'm not the guy interest was peaking as i understand it about this time and the uh and there's you've got some material on the on the website about this about in particular from the book of daniel and another one i thought about was it's a different passage of daniel but uh, you remember king nebuchadnezzar had that dream about this big statue and uh you know the top of it was gold and then it was silver as you as you progress down the statue it goes from gold to silver to iron to or, or to bronze to iron into lesser metals and then eventually to the feet and it's where we get the expression feet of clay uh there was uh the bottom of it the feet were the feet of iron mixed with clay and there, there's a talk about this stone that's cut out without human hands and it strikes the 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 statue at the bottom well this this statue is a timeline 
and even he even talks about it like the 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 very first the, the gold was the Assyrian Empire or Babylonian I forget and then the uh, silver was the Persian and then the bronze was the Greek and then the the, the iron was the Romans so you know there, there's a lot of things that the Jews they had a lot of time to read this stuff right and so they um, interest was peaking at this time and I think that's one of the reasons. And uh, another thing is uh, there's a period of silence and correct me if I'm wrong between Malachi and Matthew, mm -hmm. there was a, there was like a deafening period of silence for something like 400 years. So uh, they had all this revelation in the old Testament and then now they're waiting, you know, basically they, they're promised this deliverer, the savior Messiah, and then silence. And then we pick up the story with Jesus. Is, is that pretty fair to say? Absolutely. And thank you for adding all of that. That's very true. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the prophecy dried up for 400 years um, and, or, you know, give or take, I don't have the exact timeline in front of me, but yeah, they, they've, the Jews remember these prophecies and they're like, Hey, they, they're going to be fulfilled and they're waiting for this, again, this eschatological period where, where all these prophecies are fulfilled and we pick up with Jesus and, and you're absolutely right. People at the time of Jesus are looking, they are thinking the Messiah is coming. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thank Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Next up is Megumi. And then we do have Batman after that. So, uh, if you're Still uh, thinking you might want to ask a question or raise a point of discussion, get that in the chat, and we will uh, get to that before the top of the hour here. Megumi, are you good to go? Yes, I think so. Um, so um, at the beginning, John the Baptist, he's asked about like three different identities. He's not the Christ. He's not the prophet. He's not Elijah. Um, who is Elijah, and what did he do? Ah, uh, okay. Brett, I should have... I should have specified. Thank you for asking that question. So Elijah is one of the biggest um, prophets in the Old Testament. I was going to say perhaps the biggest. I think if you leave out Moses, then Elijah would be the biggest prophet. And Elijah is one of the only two people. And please correct me if I'm wrong here. I know the chat will correct me. One of the only two people in the Old Testament who do not die. They're taken up into heaven. Okay. And so Elijah has this very odd ending to his story, um, where instead of dying, like everyone else does in the story, he is taken up. And so that sets up the, the kind of the story for him coming back, right? Like Elijah didn't die. He can totally come back. He's alive. He's up in heaven with God. And that's why the Jews and even John the Baptist, it seems like anyways, he expects Elijah himself to come back, not somebody to kind of do his work or in his stead or doing his same role. No, like literally Elijah, who did not die, would come back before the Messiah. Okay. Thanks, Megumi. Uh, if you have, did you have anything? Oh, she's already gone. But Megumi, uh, Megumi if you had any follow-up thoughts, uh, just let me know, okay? I, sorry. Hi. Um, yeah, go for it if you, if you have ahead. a follow-up. How did he, how did he go to heaven without dying? He's just taken up. And in fact, I have, I think I put the verse, I may be lying. I looked it up, but I, oh yeah, I did put the verse. Okay. This is in second Kings two eleven, And this is all it says. 
as they were walking along and talking. So this was Elijah and Elisha, two different people who were talking. And Elisha is essentially the kind of the next guy in line to Elijah. He ta Elisha takes the role of Elijah. Okay. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a fiery chariot pulled by fiery horses appeared. They went between Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah went up to heaven in a windstorm. And he was taken. All right. Thanks, Magumi. We Next up, we have the one and only voice of Batman. Let's see what he has to say. Batman, you, you Yes, I am. I get to see your fa This is the best part about Bible study is I get to see the faces of some of the voices that I'm accustomed to. Red Falcor has been here. And now for, I get the reveal of Batman. This is great. Welcome. And uh, <laughs> thanks for all your, your help with everything. Anyway, what's on your mind? Oh, not a problem. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, so I want to kind of build off of the... Um, the first question that was asked here today, um, in particular because it seems that um, a, a big part of my own issues with um, Christianity and you know sort of all of the all of the religions that sort of spawned in one way or another out of uh, what was you know the original uh, Old Testament uh, is that it seems like there are some very particularly um, persnickety rules about what gets you into heaven and what doesn't. Um, so building off of that, um, I know that Catholics believe that if you do not get baptized, um, you, you know, there's basically no hope for you. Uh, I know that other denominations are a little bit less uh, persnickety about that, but how, how do you think that... Um, how do you think that sort of gels all together when, um, how do I put this? How, how do you, how do you have any, any, how can you have any faith, uh, that, you know, in following said rules of your denomination, you will go, um, if say, for example, maybe one of the other ones was right, or maybe the rules are a little bit more lax or, you know, whatever. I guess that's, um, that may not necessarily be pertaining exactly to uh, the literature this week, but um, it's it's been something that's niggled at me for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think, by the way, that that is a great question. Um, I think that it's an absolutely fair question. You know, when I, I wasn't raised a Christian, um, and so I, I became a Christian as an adult. So I, I think I can... When, when you ask a question like this, like I, I think I can relate. Like I, I also looked at this from the outside. Um, so th this is what I would say. Um, and here I am going to have to get into some denominational distinctives. There's really no other way of answering this, but I, I do want to sure. give you an answer. So for the first few centuries of Christianity, we don't, quite see all these divisions right you don't have like this catholic church like big c like the catholic denomination per se like there's just kind of this this church going on and and um baptism or you know baptism was already incredibly important the lord's supper was very important um but for the most part there's not all of these very specific rules as to how you're in right you, you 
you have faith and you should participate in these sacraments. Um, then you kind of get the, the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, um, and they do develop essentially these rules and where they say, look, if you don't do ex things exactly like we do them, then you're out. And then in the 1500s, you get the Reformation, right? And the reason I, I want to kind of highlight that history is because the Reformation actually had the same concerns that you are voicing right now. One of the key topics of the Reformation was we are saved by faith alone. Okay, which is another way of saying we are saved by Christ alone. Like there are no other things that you're going to do. There's there's no like sacrament you're going to add to that. Um, no good works you're going to add to that. We're saved by Christ alone. And I'm a firm believer in that, right? I, I am from the Protestant tradition um, and, and I am a firm believer that at the end of the day, if you have faith in Christ, you are saved. None of these other things... Uh, are what's called soteriological that they, they don't have to do with salvation now which is not to say they're not important any christian i think should be baptized should be taking the lord's supper should be you know should be doing all these things but i don't think that they get you saved or unsaved um now uh, i the the other point of hope here is that Churches are coming, different denominations are coming to that conclusion, even the Catholics, right? Catholics for centuries said, hey, if you don't do this, you're anathematized, you're out, you're not saved, yeah. you're cursed. But over the last century, even Catholics have said, no, our Protestant brothers are that. They're kind of estranged brothers, like they're outside of the church, but that does not mean that they're damned. Um, and the Orthodox have effectively said the same thing. Um, so in this day and age, actually, most Christians from just about any denomination, whether they're Protestant or not, they, they would mostly affirm that, uh, you can be saved, even if you don't go through these very specific steps, whichever steps they require in their own denomination. So you'd say things are sort of in general becoming a little bit more lax, um, it, yes, but not lax in a negative sense, like, oh, we're just throwing all the rules at yeah. the door, but but that we are actually coming together on this, where we recognize each other as believers. Um, and maybe we'll take a step back in the future. I don't know. But I just, I believe that the truth of the matter is that we're saved by faith alone in Christ. And these other sacraments are important, but they don't get you saved or unsaved. And uh, I think that's what scripture teaches. Essentially, to answer the question, how do I feel confident about this? It's because every time I read the Bible, it's what it seems to say. Oh, okay. I'll um, maybe mull over that for next time. Yeah. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you for your question. Oh, Matt, we can't hear you. You are muted. I'm sorry. Thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Uh, just a couple more here. Let's see. Chris, I see you, but uh, I don't know if I'll be able to get to you, Chris, uh, twice. <laughs> um, maybe if we have a little bit extra time at the end here, but... Um, uh, we'll see if I can do that. I think next up is um, Michelle. But I, I know I let me pronounce. I, I got to ask him how to pronounce it correctly again. I know I asked that last time. And uh, 
he's going to hate that I'm going to ask him again. But let no, me make sure fine. I get your name right because I don't want to say Michelle like the anyway. Mishael. Mishael. Okay. You could just call me Mish. Mish. Committed to yeah. memory for next time, so I don't have to ask you the same damn thing twice. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, what's on your mind? Uh, well, so first of all, for Batman, um, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I came from a messianic background like that other lady was uh, her background. Um, so I'm trying to find right now I'm in this I go to Southern Baptist Church and I'm trying to understand like baptism and what what constitutes salvation and stuff. Um, so I think exactly what he was saying, where it's, you know, faith in Christ alone, that's what that's what gives you salvation. All that other stuff, that is just an act of worship. And like I did a lot of legalistic stuff growing up. I still stick to a lot of that stuff, but I don't see it as as what gives me salvation. It's just something that is an act of worship because God created me and he said, this is the way you're supposed to act. So that's the way I act. Um, but a quick question. I know this is jumping the gun a little bit and it's kind of a spoiler. Um, you were talking about what uh, what the Jews expected as God or as, as uh, who Jesus was going to be. I've heard a lot of they were expecting a warrior king. And so like when when they're waving the palm branches and he came riding in, they were expecting this warrior king and they were celebrating him. But he came riding in on a donkey, which was a more submissive uh, or not submissive, but just a peaceful way of entering. And that was part of what led up to everything happening is the Jews were like, this isn't the Messiah we wanted. Is, would you agree with that? Because I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. It's just some things I've heard. Yeah, I, I think that that is accurate. Um, I'll read, for example, one of the one of the quotations that I have there on the website. It reads as follows: um, But when Rome, sorry, uh, yes, but when Rome also over Egypt rules, having one end in view. Then shall appear the mighty kingdom of the immortal king set over men. A holy man shall come, wielding the scepter over every land unto all ages of advancing time. Okay, this is in writings that were already present at the time of Jesus. So you see, they're expecting very much a warrior king wielding the scepter, right? That is a symbol of power. Essentially, we would probably say wielding the sword or something of that nature. And he will dominate all the kingdoms and rule them. That certainly was the expectation at the time. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks, Mish. Appreciate it. Yep. Okay. I have Steven, and we'll see. We have uh, maybe one or two. We're also looking to speak, but let me find Steven first here. Hey. Oh, there we go. Yeah, just say I, 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 for some reason, I, well, I guess you guys have the power to unmute. I don't understand Zoom, clearly. Yeah, I don't think it's locked. Yeah. In any case, go right ahead. Thanks, Steven. All right. So my question is about the part of the passage having to do with where Jesus is calling the apostles. And I'm just trying to think about it in terms of, you know, not necessarily what we know today, and trying to hold that over what they knew back then. But just considering that, you know, there are, the fact that there are those people who will lie and cheat you and con you, we have, you know, those nomad pastors, the millionaire revival preachers and whatnot. I'm thinking about had it been me in that situation, I have no idea what sort of evidence I would have needed to be able to agree to go. 
So I was just curious, what are your thoughts? What would you, what would you have needed in order to say, yep, I'll follow? Oh my goodness. Um, this is very tough. I, I have wondered very much the same thing. Like if I had been there, would I have believed? Um, and I can give, I guess, a couple of answers to this. One is, in the story, we see that there is this process of of some evidence given, right? A lot of times, Christians will use the word faith and say, oh, it's like you believe something that you don't have evidence for. And that's absolutely not correct, right? In the Bible, they're actually very specific, like this is a witness who saw this, like saw the dove descend on Jesus, and then he told other people and you know normally we admit testimony as somewhat reliable evidence of course not not perfectly reliable uh but then jesus does a number of signs and that's the purpose of the miracles right jesus will do these miracles so that he can prove to people i am who i say that i am he he actually is offering evidence so hopefully if you and i had been present at the time by the time we see jesus do a number of miracles we would have believed um but in addition to that, I would say that I think that there's something supernatural going on here. Like, I think that the Holy Spirit is involved in drawing us to God. Um, and maybe if we had been there at the time, the Holy Spirit, you know, being God as well, would work in our hearts and minds to where we would be led to believe. Um, and that may sound very, I don't know, if, you, if, you, if you're not... A believer you may be thinking that is just a bunch of of nonsense like i i just have to be able to reason all this out but but i it, let me put it this way if god is real right like if god is real and his spirit is at work in the world there's actually nothing irrational about saying god can work in my mind and heart and steer me in a certain direction um right now of course if god is not real none of that can happen um but um but certainly within Christianity, that that makes internal sense. And that, I hope that, that that's what would have happened if we had been present at the time. Okay. I mean, I try to, I'm trying to apply that part of Deuteronomy that you mentioned about, you know, when God says, if, you know, those who hear my words and, you know, don't pay attention, you know, they'll be judged. That to me sounds like, you know, you may have time, but, you know, just based on what the apostles, at least the ones from this passage would have been or would have encountered and seen at the time that they were called. I don't know. I just have a hard time thinking if I were in that same position, I would be like, yep, you know, without some supernatural intervention. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps I and I think the other thing, let me just say this also in response to this, to your comment, because um, I don't want to leave this out. The Jews also had the Old Testament, right? So it's not only the testimony of John the Baptist, it's not only the miracles that Jesus is doing, but they have the scriptures that all point to Jesus, right? We, we have all of these prophecies that begin to be fulfilled with Jesus. Um, so that is another strong point of evidence they would have had, um, that us not being Jews, essentially, we, we would wouldn't quite have that background. Um, but, uh, you know, would we have believed? Would we not? I don't know. I, I also happen to believe that God puts us in the best position 
to believe in his good news. So perhaps, and I'm speculating here, the reason that we're alive now and not 2,000 years ago is because it is in this uh, day and time when we are ready to believe and perhaps we would not have believed. But who knows, right? That is a huge supposition on my part, a huge counterfactual. I can't possibly prove that, but I do think that God puts us in the best position to believe. Well, I'd agree with that. But do you know if there are other examples of anybody claiming to be Jesus before Jesus? Yes, there are many. Um, so that, that, that's what strikes it odd to me, because I would look at that and think, oh, it's just another you know, zealot out here trying to make a buck. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, again, that's fair. And I think that's why Jesus yeah. offers evidence. You know, Jesus has miracles and the such. True. Yeah, I agree. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Stephen. Okay. Uh, we did have one more. We are a little bit past the top of the hour. I, I do have a few minutes if you do, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we can do one more. And just in case anybody is on a tight time schedule and uh, you have to take off, just a reminder, we will be taking a break next week for the holiday weekend. We'll be back July 9th. Uh, but Ted, if you are ready to go, go for it. Hello, hello can you hear me? Yes, sir. Um, so I'm just wondering, uh, what qualifies as faith? Like, for instance, if I believed in God and never expressed it, uh, would God still know that I believe in him, like in my heart and my mind? Um, yeah, I, I think that that would absolutely be the case. Um, and by the way, so let's talk about the word faith very briefly because I, I know we're past the hour, but faith is is really conveying the idea of trusting, right? It's not conveying this idea of believing in something unreasonable or believing in something you have no reason to believe. Um, so if I, you know, if I put my faith in this chair that it holds me, it means I'm trusting it that it will hold me. Now, I have good reasons to believe that it will hold me. I have sat on this chair before. I can inspect it. It seems well, well constructed. So, but although I have those beliefs about the chair, at some point there's the question, do I trust this chair? Will I actually sit on it and trust that it will hold me? And I do. Well, the same with God, right? Um, we have hopefully evidence of 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 Christ being who he says he is. But then the question is, do I trust him? Do I trust that he's telling the truth? Do I trust him that he is the Lamb of God? That if I trust him, I will be saved. Um, and I think that if you believe that in your heart, um, God knows it, and Jesus will not fail you. The Messiah will not fail you. Um, so that that would be my answer to that. Do, do you have any comment? Oh, no, no, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Ted. Appreciate it. Okay, I think that'll uh, do it on questions tonight. Appreciate everybody uh, attending and participating in the discussion. Robert, did you have anything additional to say before we wrap up? Uh, no, I I think that was good. Uh, I'm glad we got through as many verses as we did. And next time we will be talking about Jesus' first miracle. So it should be pretty exciting. Great. Uh, well, once again, in closing, we'll be back two weeks from today, July 9th. We will skip next week for the holiday weekend. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you'd like to listen back, if you missed it, the show, you can see how habits stick. You know what? I mean. You missed any part of the study session this evening. Um, it is available on podcast feeds now, so you can uh, have that if you need to go back and listen to anything or if you missed any particular part or a week, uh, you can catch up there. 
And um, oh, and as always, if you have uh, things to share with me or with Robert, uh, you can get in touch with either of us on the Bible study page of the website. There's a form to contact Robert directly there if you're looking to speak with him. But uh, thanks for attending tonight, guys, and uh, have a happy and safe 4th of July. We'll see you back here in two weeks, I hope. All right. Bye, Matt.